My favorite part of our editorial board meeting with Mark Pocan this week was when he said he was all but accused of being Ron Johnson's identical twin. <laughs> they don't look anything alike. No, and their politics couldn't be much farther apart either. What I like about it is that it shows just how goofy and irrational the social media trolls can be. I mean, here you have the leader of the Progressive Caucus in Congress being torched on Twitter for not being progressive enough simply because he posted an innocuous tweet calling both Democrats for a Senate seat in Massachusetts. He called them both progressives. I guess we're not the only ones, Phil, that the Twitterati finds deficient. I don't know if Marx have ever had a curse put on him before, though. Well, maybe not, and you're talking about yourself. Yes, I had a, a witch put a curse on me recently over a cartoon I drew. Yeah, but you're not a magician like Mark Pocan is. He's a magician, not a wizard. He's probably harder to cast a spell on, that's all I'm saying. And today on Center Stage with Milford and Hans, the Wisconsin State Journal's political podcast from the Sensible Center of Wisconsin Politics, we're going to talk about our editorial board meeting this week with U.S. Representative Mark Pocan of the Madison area. We actually asked him about his magic, whether he can use it to get things done in Congress. We talked about his new power on the Appropriations Committee. We asked him to explain his, well, sort of flip-flop on Bernie Sanders. We talked about his personal connection to Kenosha and the tragedies that have happened there. He's a Kenosha native. And we're happy to hear that he supports cameras on police officers, which has been a priority of ours. I'm Scott Milford. I'm the editorial page editor for the Wisconsin State Journal. And I'm Phil Hands. I'm the editorial cartoonist for the Wisconsin State Journal. We are half of the State Journal Editorial Board. And even though we have a new editor and a new publisher, we are still the better looking half. (laughs) Mark Pocan is probably one of the most easy to get along with guys in Congress. I mean, he's very personable, very likable. He's certainly a political animal, and he's been moving up the ranks, and he talked to us about how he is now on the Appropriations Committee, but he's not trying to be the next Dave Obey, who used to run Appropriations. He's trying to get stuff done, he says, for UW and for farmers, and gosh darn it, all of us here in Wisconsin. Well, you've known Mark for a very long... I mean, you remember when he was on the Dane County Board, right? I mean, when he was on the farm system for the Democratic Party? Yes. One of 138 uh, Dane County Board members? (laughs) It feels like it sometimes, but I think it's 37 Dane County board members. Mark used to live in Madison. I actually used to live only a couple blocks away from him over on Spate Street. Now he's moved out to Black Earth. Oops, I mean the town of Vermont. Maybe he, maybe he really has sold out then. <laughs> in the newspaper, we always say D. Black Earth after his name because that's his mailing address. But technically, he lives in a rural area, the town of Vermont, that's just a little bit west of Madison. He's not optimistic about getting a deal done for COVID-19 relief. It sounds like the Senate and the House aren't too far apart on the thing that's most important to the average people, which is the unemployment insurance boost, you know, which people desperately need. They're not too far apart on that. But it sounds like a lot of the other issues, like the House wants a ton more funding for testing and the Senate's willing to go along with, and the president wants to sign a check for everyone for a stimulus that a lot of people in the House aren't crazy about. This is politics, though. It's a shame the the most important part of the bill, there's pretty much agreement that people on unemployment need a boost in their paycheck, which the Senate and the House can negotiate those numbers. They're pretty close to each other. But all the other kind of ancillary issues are holding the bill up. The one thing that 
he did seem pretty optimistic on was steering money to UW. He is on the Appropriations Committee, and he said that he helped get into the bill nine out of 10 of UW's priorities, and a lot of that is research-related. He's UW's new best friend over there and said he's, he's hearing from Becky Blank and Tommy Thompson a lot. Yeah, um, it's apparently something like 75% of UW-Madison's federal grants run through committees he's in charge of. So if we want a uh, university to get more than its fair share of federal funding, we got a congressman in the right spot. Now, maybe that's somebody's pork to somebody else, but... <laughs> UW deserves every penny they get, Phil, says this alumni. <laughs> I'm an alum too, Scott, so... Hey, some of that money might help cure COVID, and a lot of it goes to agriculture research. The real important one that was like the UW's top thing was the updated UW-Madison USDA research facility. Uh, the Department of Ag rents part of it from us, but it's a World War II building that when we had Secretary Purdue in, uh, in state last year, uh, he accepted my invitation to go and visit it, which I really appreciated that. Um, in fact, he's the only secretary I think who's ever done that. Uh, but they cleaned it up ahead of time, and I, told, I wish they hadn't because they swept up cockroaches and things. <laughs> because that's how old and bad the building is. So we were able to get that to, uh, there was a list it wasn't making the top of. We essentially created another list that it's the top of now. And uh, we have good confidence that can move forward. And that was the number one goal of the, the university system. Other things that are important for the university, satellite research dollars uh, and, and telescope money. Um, we did a number of things around wrongful convictions, a prison uh, suicide. In defense, I'm hoping this will stay. This There is $50 million uh, over the next two years for noise mitigation from mm. for things like F-35s. Yeah. Um, now, granted, there's a couple communities that got F-35s, so a few communities are going to be able to apply. So it's not specific, but still, it's the first time because what our, our real complaint was is if they're creating a problem for homes, and that's, that study said there would be about 500 homes that wouldn't get any assistance of the thousand that were going to be affected. My theory is you break it, you bought it, right? You should have to you know, provide some assistance to those folks. And defense, the department said you can't use it for anything that's not defense related. So we've had a problem, but we got that in and that's pretty substantial. And we're hoping that will stay through the whole process. Of course, that would be good news for residents on the north side near the Dane County Airport who fear that the F-35 fighter jets coming in there to replace the current F-16s will be louder and more disturbing. It sounds like Representative Pocan may have some federal money to help soundproof some of those homes. Pocan is the only member of Wisconsin's congressional delegation on the Appropriations Committee in the House. So that is a pretty big deal. He knows how to work politics, how to negotiate with people, and he's moving up the ranks. And you do see him sometimes make the national news. Well, he sometimes says inflammatory and slightly dumb things on national television to make the national news. It, it seems like he's a lot more boring in person. Well, we didn't care for it when he called for abolishing ICE, for example. But uh, it sounded like from your questioning that he's, he's not hook sinker on uh, the protesters' call to defund police. I think that, I mean, it all depends on what you mean by defund the police, you know. You know, he, he seems, oh, it's just a talking point and, you know, people don't actually really want to do that. Some people do. I mean, that's the, that's the thing. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I came away from our meeting with the understanding that he does not want to do that. He does understand that police, particularly with the shooting spree that's been going on in Madison for weeks now with unprecedented gunplay, 
that we do need police. Generally, I mean, I agree with them, and it seems like there's growing agreement that the police don't need to be handling as many of these mental health calls if they don't involve criminality. And maybe we can streamline what our police do and use them more efficiently for what we really need them for and not for situations that that might go awry. There's this idea that, you know, 50 years ago, police were just patrolling the streets and doing public safety and they weren't getting involved in mental health and they weren't getting involved in domestic disputes. Of course they were. We never had a domestic dispute reconciliation team at the county level or the city level to deal with those issues. It's not like these are new duties for police. We're just paying more attention to the way policing is done nowadays. Well, let's play the part of our interview where we talked to Mark about this and where he endorsed putting cameras on police officers. We passed a bill in the House that had a lot of different things from banning chokeholds to a database on bad officers, uh, a bunch of stuff. We did that back in, I want to say July, and I'm not great on time, but I think it was back in July. And that was what working with a lot of the outside groups that are working on policing issues. There's consensus. There's always more that could happen. You know, I have a provision that there's only a little bit of it in there where I have a bill that I've introduced that's a little provision of it's in there, but I think you should unify training for police officers across the country because right now, basically in most States, you just have to have a high school degree and then whatever that localized training is. And the training could be very little in a small town to much different in New York city. But if you have a uniform standard for truck drivers and we have to pass a test, why wouldn't we have some uniform standards for police officers? That way we know everyone has gotten a consistent amount of training. As I said earlier, Mark is a native of Kenosha. Kenosha specifically, I think, just showed again that there's still a policing problem. Even after all these high profile things, an officer thought it was all right to shoot someone seven times in the back at close range in front of their children. And yet the next day, police officers were giving water to the 17-year-old vigilante carrying a rifle going down the road. The only difference really is that that person was a Caucasian individual and the other person was African-American individual. And there's some real problems in how that's perceived, but it's the police problem. The policing problem is certainly out there. I think there's other issues as well. I don't think you get equal opportunity to everything in this country when you have, if you're black or brown skin. I think there are still a lot of barriers that people face and we need to be able to talk about that. So I think it's more about unity and reconciliation messages that we really need in addition to some of the policing that's out there. But, you know, Kenosha, I went down Tuesday when um, Trump was down. I was visiting my mom. She's 91. Uh, They just started visits in assisted living. So you can go every two weeks. That was my second visit. I could finally get down. I hadn't seen her since February, you know, before that. And, uh, you know, the, her best friend was a woman who passed away in the last year her grandson um, was Anthony Huber, the 26-year-old skateboarder that got shot by the vigilante. Um, the great aunt and the grandma basically raised him. So the great aunt I talked to on Monday, uh, last Monday, before going to Kenosha, and she went to the skateboard park where he used to hang out and talk to the friends. And they were showing moves that Anthony could do that they kept falling trying to do. Um, but, you know, that and, and also where the corner where the Danish Brotherhood and the camera shop got burned down. The building next to it and some of the photos you've seen with the roof partially missing in the side, that's where my mom and dad had their businesses. My dad's sign shop, my mom's beauty supply store. I used to make magic tricks for the Bradford Variety Show in the back of that building. So, um, And that was one of the ones that burned or not? That's the one partially. It's not completely down, but the roof is gone and part of the side. And uh, so I drove through all that and talked to folks. 
what was sad is here, the businesses that are boarded up are in the areas where the activities happened. In a town like Kenosha, because it's a little smaller, 75% of the businesses had boarded up windows, no matter where you were in town, because they were just nervous about something happening. Um, so that's why I think, you know, when the, the message came from Joe Biden, what they really needed was that kind of unity reconciliation message, as opposed to, you know, anything that could fan the flames. How about uh, putting cameras on officers? If it weren't for that person across the street who happened to right. pull out a phone, we probably wouldn't have known the details of this in such a powerful visual way. And we, maybe it would have just blown over and we didn't even know that it was abuse. So what about putting cameras on police officers? No, I, I think that's a good idea. There's a lot of things that we could do. Um, you know, I, I do think though, just from the very basic training, if you had a camera, maybe would they would have thought differently before they did it. But if they had training that was different, you know, I think that really is kind of where it goes back to. Tammy Baldwin, on her bill, she wants all federal law enforcement who are out in the field to have cameras. Is that something you support too? Yeah, I would I would be supportive of that. How do we can pr convince our pro progressive city council in Madison that cameras are um, a good idea for police officers? Because that's the holdup in Madison. Yeah, I you know, I, I think it provides the the security for everyone, right? If you can see what's happening both for the law enforcement officer's protection in case someone you know is making up a story or for the protection of the person who's uh, having interaction with law enforcement it provides that extra security so you know to me it seems like a reasonable step now again i i still think training is at the forefront of what we got to deal with because how could someone still be doing this after all these high profile instances that to me is a training issue but a camera would at least give us some confidence on that uh, from both perspectives. Well, would you support more money from the federal government to help pay for cameras at the local level? Yeah, I would even go a step back, um, Scott, to we have police officers doing non-law enforcement related activities. If someone has mental illness is the best person to send a police officer with zero training for mental illness, or is it someone who's a mental illness professional? And that's where human services might be a better person to interact. I think that's part of how you just relook at policing. I think we've put a lot of things onto law enforcement's um, agenda, what they have to do that aren't law enforcement related. And if they don't have the training to even be deeply uh, experienced in law enforcement, how do they have it in mental health? It doesn't sound like you're supporting defunding the police. No, I, I think it's looking at what we do with policing is really the debate you know where money goes and what account it goes into is less important than um what the services we expect of our police departments that clip is from a zoom call that we had with mark pocan on thursday one of the things that i really like about Mark, is that he always seems to have a Republican buddy. I mean, he's he's the most progressive guy. He was he represented the Isthmus when he was in the county board, when he was on the legislature. He still represents the Isthmus, although which is one of the most, you know, progressive areas in the state, probably the most. But now he represents several counties around Madison too. But he's always had a, a Republican buddy. I mean, Robin Voss, the speaker of the assembly was his buddy. I would say reviled speaker of the assembly on the isthmus. But Mark is a friend of his. They used to go out to dinner together. They probably still do. And Mark would take his spouse, um, his husband, and uh, they go to, you know, the tornado or someplace like that and have dinner. 
And Mark likes to say a lot that he's progressive, but he's also pragmatic. When progressives say that, usually I, I roll my eyes, but I think there's some truth to that with Mark because I have seen him operate on the Joint Finance Committee. I have seen him work with Republicans, and not just with Robin Voss on some big things at the state level, but with Reed Ribble once he went to Congress. Reed was a Republican from the Fox Valley. Reed's gone now. He spoke very fondly of Reed, as if they were like close, close friends. Yeah. And I asked, well, who's your new Republican buddy? And uh, yeah, it sounds like nobody's replaced Reed, but he did talk about Representative Robert Adderholt from Alabama. Which is that progressive hotbed of, of, of the South, Alabama. They're both on the Appropriations Committee. They both have to, because of the states they're in, care about agriculture. And it was fun to have him explain how their friendship developed. Yeah, I'll be honest. Buddies in either party are a little different in Congress. Um, when they said, if you want a friend, get a dog, they meant it. Uh, so I will say that. Um, you know, an interesting one who's kind of, we're very friendly and we get along quite well is Robert Adderholt from Alabama. Um, he was the chair of the Ag Subcommittee who helped me so much last time. You know, it's funny, he's um, very conservative, endorsed by the Family Research Council. You would think we would have nothing in common. When I got on that committee, he um, asked to have a breakfast with me as a new member. So my office is like, well, you know, you can just have coffee. You don't have to eat. I'm like, I'm a big boy. I can eat breakfast. So we met in the dining room. We had a half hour slotted. I got back to the office an hour and 40 minutes later. Um, what it turned out is he's almost the exact same age as me. We had you know, a lot of the same things growing up, talking about his, he raises his family in D.C. as opposed to Alabama. That was his choice to spend time with his kids. Um, he used to do a little magic when he was a, a kid. Oh. So we got talking about that, and I picked up for him a trick that he mentioned he really liked. So I came by his office one day, and I met his daughter. And uh, we got talking, and he and I have been very friendly. It, that day it was interesting because I don't know if he knew I had a husband at the time. So uh, as I was saying, talking to him, I said something about my husband. And I watched his pupil you know, just move about that much, you know, just a little bit of a dilation. And um, he's kept talking. And it was the week that they were one of the weeks they're going after the Affordable Care Act, and we were going to be there longer than calendar. And I must have said something to him going, yeah, my husband went and getting back because we had some plans on that Friday or something. He came the next day on the floor, across the floor, because you know, we're Democrats on one side, Republicans on the other, to find me to let me know the inside info when we were really getting out so I could make plans to see my husband. And to me, that's like a pretty big victory, right? When you got a guy who's very conservative, Family Research Council, you know, uh, endorsement, seal of approval, but getting to know each other, we still work together really well. And, um, but it's not a friendship. Like Reed was great. You know, Reed and I were very tight. Robin and I are still actually very good friends. And I give him a lot of credit. He and the governor, um, the work share changes we made in Wisconsin, because I think that's a really important program. And for a while, we were running like a tenth of everyone on workshare in the country was from Wisconsin out of the 27 states that have it. Every change I recommended, I was able to convince them to do together. You know, for that matter, I've heard Mark talk about that he gets along just fine with uh, Jim Jordan because Jim Jordan went to UW, was a wrestling champion here uh, many moons ago, similar age, uh, both to Adderholt and to Mark. 
And, uh, you know, he's just somebody that can get along with people that he disagrees with sharply on a lot of things. And I think that's one of the problems with politics and with us as citizens is that too many of us can't do that. We've just kind of demonized the other side. Does he get along with Ted Cruz? Nobody likes Ted Cruz, Phil. What was it? Who, who said that about Ted Cruz is that I get, I like Ted Cruz better than everybody else and I hate Ted Cruz. Well, that was former Minnesota Senator Al Franken. Oh, yeah. Al Franken. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if Mark likes Ted Cruz. That might be a mountain too high to climb. Future Supreme Court Justice Ted Cruz. We also asked Mark about his support for Bernie Sanders in this year's presidential election. Four years ago, Mark Pocan endorsed Hillary Clinton in the Democratic presidential primary. And he said of Bernie Sanders, quote, nobody is saying what I really want is a 75 year old socialist, right? But it turned out a whole bunch of people on the Democratic side did want a 75-year-old socialist. Bernie Sanders almost defeated Hillary Clinton in the Democratic presidential primary. This time around, Mark was all in for Bernie Sanders early, only for Bernie to flame out much sooner and for Joe Biden, the more establishment candidate, to secure the nomination. I was obviously wrong four years ago because people did think that Bernie's message resonated. And you think about it. Medicare for All now is a national big conversation because it came from that conversation four years ago. So I think, you know, this time I looked around and I said, look, you know, we have to have a debate on the big issues. How you get that done is the normal part of my job where you find out what you have in common and you work from there. But, you know, there are some serious issues we're just not addressing. And special interests have way too much influence in Congress. For a decade, we haven't raised the minimum wage and you'd be living on 15,000 a year at the current level is kind of ridiculous, you know? And so I think, you know, some of those things have certainly made me maybe more energized to talk about the big issue, but as always, I'm still the person who is trying to find the solutions. I hope that he can be a force for getting more things done and for telling progressives who are on his side sometimes to, hey, cut him some slack, we might actually get something done here. I liked when he talked about getting a lot of flack from the left because it does tell me that that's sort of universal. And it's not that he doesn't get lots of flack from the right or, or that uh, Republicans uh, don't get flack from the true believers on their side. But he's certainly not in the sensible center of politics, but he does try to cut some deals there is my impression. And I think he has the luxury of sort of knowing that as long as he'd like to be a congressman, he can be a congressman. Um, I don't think he's, he, you know, he's never going to face a challenger from the right. And he's such a sky on in liberal politics in Madison that I think it'd be hard for him to f face a challenger for the, from the left. So I think, you know, he, he came in, he wanted to talk about his appropriations and all the stuff that doesn't make news that he's doing for Wisconsin behind the scenes and the appropriations committee and all the money he's bringing to the state. So he doesn't need to prove himself to anybody, I don't think, because he is so safe. Here's where Mark told us about being flamed on social media. This occurred on August 20th when Mark was touting Joe Kennedy in Massachusetts as a progressive against the other progressive who actually won, Ed Markey. There's progressives and then there's the left and there's the left on social media. Because um, I recently got 2,000 um, replies to saying in the US Senate primary in Massachusetts, there were two good progressive candidates and I was backing Joe Kennedy because I thought he was a better candidate for the future. Because Ed Markey 
is the Senate author of the Green New Deal, but he's been there 44 years. And if you look at his Wikipedia bio, um, they talk about his roller coaster legislation and daylight savings time legislation. And after 44 years, you should have a little more substance, I think, than that to show out of Congress. And um, I had 2,000 comments to that, just saying there are two good progressives. On the progressive punch, which is the main scoring system we look at for progressive votes, it's a website out there. Um, Joe Kennedy is one and a half points away from uh, Ed Markey. So they both were in the, you know, very progressive category. They're a point and a half apart. And yet uh, corporate sellout is what, um, you know, Joe Kennedy was. And, and I took all these from the left. So they think, I, you know, I'm a sellout and all this stuff. So I, I ignore that part of the left because many of them, um, you know, aren't engaged necessarily with reality. But the real progressive groups that are out there, we do actually have a lot of communication with and we talk to. And, you know, I do think there are times that people have to get beyond their issue and work with us on a broader set of issues. And we've been doing some real good success on that. Um, you know, another accomplishment I had, and I, I always say I should write a thank you note to Paul Ryan for this, but because we didn't do much when he was speaker, because the Tea Party didn't allow him to do anything, um, I had a lot of free time and we built um, a 501c3 entity for the Progressive Caucus that never existed before. And we raised several million dollars in a year. And now they have a $3 million annual budget and we have a think tank, we have full-time fellows that come into offices, and I built this infrastructure. So part of it was to get progressives to the same table so we could hear each other's issues and all that. So the mainstream um, organizations, I feel like we've got good communication with. I think it's some of the, again, on social media where I'm, I'm you know, sometimes you could find that one. You should read some of the comments because uh, you would think that I am Ron Johnson's identical twin <laughs> by their comments. Um, you know, some folks you're just not going to convince to end about anything. I still think he pines a little bit for the governor's job someday. I think that crosses his mind once in a while. Once you get out to D.C., you tend to think of Wisconsin politics as small time. But I could see him... Uh, continuing to move up in leadership in the House or running for governor someday. He'd probably be a decent governor, too. I mean, he seems like he knows how to make deals to get stuff done without really compromising his extreme progressive values. He's really difficult to dislike and not get along with even when you disagree with him. And there's not a lot of people like that who are politicians. I mean, generally, I like most of our leaders when I meet with them, but Mark has a certain magic about him. Uh, he was a magician. You know, magic's not real. It's all illusions. I suggested when I heard that uh, Adderholt was a magician, too, they should start a Hogwarts caucus. So if, if that happens, you heard it here first, Phil. I, that's a reason to, to want to run for Congress, actually. I want to be in the, in the Hogwarts caucus. Can I can I study uh, defense against the dark arts and divinations? But I want to be in a house Gryffindor. I don't want to be in a Slytherin house. Aw, you don't want to be in the Freedom Caucus and pal around with Ted Cruz? Come on. Our theme music is by Tube Tester. To follow all of the political news here in the capital city, across Wisconsin, and in Washington, D.C., you really need a subscription to Madison.com. Right now, you can get your first three months of all our digital content for just three bucks. That's right, three months for three bucks. Go to Madison.com slash subscribe now. 